Well, first of all, I'd like to say how good it is, I'm very loud, aren't I? How good it is to be with you uh, here this morning. I was here, as Hoven said, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I really enjoyed being here. And uh, I, I know that you're about to enter into a very difficult time where uh, you're not going to have a, a leader for a little while. But uh, I do want to encourage you, you are a fantastic church. And uh, I think Simon has done a fantastic job in leading this church. And, you know, whenever I read things about uh, Christ the Lord, you know, I marvel at uh, just how strong you are, your leadership team, how uh, the, there's a lot of vision and, uh, and a lot of hope in this church. And even as I was worshipping uh, a few minutes ago, I was thinking to myself, you know, cool, I won't mind a church like this. Anyway, I'm, I'm a bit uh, tied up, and if this is um, going to be recorded, uh, I am happy to stay where I am at, at St. Andrews. But, but, you know, don't sell yourself short, because this is a fantastic church, you know, and um, be praying for this church, and be praying for that person who, at this moment in time, maybe hasn't even thought they're going to move. And yet, they're just waiting for that prod from God. So just pray for that uh, so that the right person does come to lead this church for the future and lead it on into further growth and strength. Well, I want us to look this morning about this request uh, from James and John. And uh, I was given a title uh, for today, and it's um, Secret Agent, The Eternal Rewards Are Enormous. And I can't work out how I fit that with the passage, all right? Because here we have two people coming quietly up to Jesus and they're trying to bag the best seats in heaven. One at Jesus' left hand, hang on, which is left, and one at his right hand. And, uh, you know, I don't really like people who go and do those kind of things. You know, the people who always want to get the best seats and things like that. You know, have you ever been on holiday and... Um, and you go down to the swimming pool and you find that on the loungers there's towels but no people, all right? Have you ever had that? Some people think it might be down to one particular nationality, but I'm not going to go there, all right? <laughs> or you go to the airport and the person in front asks for an upgrade and get it. And you think, you cheeky so-and-sos. But really inside we're thinking, if only I'd asked for an upgrade, you know? But we haven't quite got the guts to do it. Or, you know, the person at work who is always, you know, sidling up to the boss and always being so creepy and supporting the boss and, oh, what a good idea and things like that. These creepy people, you know, who are actually trying to get noticed and we don't really like that kind of thing. So on this occasion, I, my heart really is with the other ten disciples who it says later on that they were indignant at what was going on with these uh, two guys coming up and asking for these best seats in the house. I want to begin by just setting the scene, really, of how we've ended up with where we are uh, in this account today. Jesus has um, told his disciples, well, three times that he's going to die. And after each time he says that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to die the disciples let him down. The first time, Jesus uh, has, has uh, just asked uh, Peter, who do people say that I am? And, 
and Peter's made this wonderful confession, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, then Jesus explains that he's going to die. And Peter goes, no, God forbid it. And, and Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You know, the second time, Jesus uh, tells the disciples that he's going to die. And uh, it says that they didn't really understand and no one dared to ask him what he meant by it. But Jesus said to them, you know, as we walked along the road, what were you talking about? And uh, they were a bit embarrassed to look at the floor, you know, and he says, you were talking about which of you is the greatest. You see, so Jesus has just explained that he's going to die, but really they're arguing amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. And here we are, this is the third time, if you look just back a little bit before from the passage we're reading in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus once again is predicting his death. You know, he's just, you know, bared his soul to his disciples. And what do we read? That James and John suddenly start asking for these best seats in heaven. You know, how uncaring these disciples were. You know, how callous they were in trying to bag these best seats in heaven. You know, they weren't picking up what Jesus was saying. They were completely oblivious to him. You know, I wonder whether, you know, they look back in time and they actually think to themselves, you know, I'm a bit embarrassed by that. You know, do you ever have things where you've said, you've said things and then you wished you hadn't said it, you know? I, you know, we've all probably done it, haven't we? You know, sometimes these are the things that we lie in bed at night and we get these cold shakes as we think about, oh, did I really say that? You know, I, I remember once, um, uh, I, I didn't really have a very good command of the English language, all right? So... I was talking about a vicar that I knew who, when he, he spoke, he sounded like he was giving a lecture. And uh, so I used to tell people, you know, have you heard him preach? He's very lecturous. <laughs> and it was a bit later on that I discovered what I was really saying as he was sort of, Whoa, or whatever it is, okay? So, you know, and I go, oh, how embarrassing. I remember uh, the story where J. John, have you heard of the uh, evangelist J. John? J. John was speaking to a, a group of teenagers in a, in a secondary school and he was constantly being heckled by this obnoxious youth. And uh, so eventually he'd had enough of this and he turned to the youth and he went, you are going to die. Now there's nothing wrong in saying that because it's absolutely true, all right? Because we're all going to die, all right? But it didn't go down very well. And when the police turned up at his house, and that he'd made a threat against this boy, and his mother was up in arms in case the boy was cursed and things like that, I'm sure that J. John was thinking, oh, why did I open my big mouth and do say those kind of things? Now, we can all put our, our foot in it. I think James and John probably regretted saying these things to Jesus. Interesting that in John's Gospel, he makes no reference to it. You know, because I think he would quite like to sweep it under the carpet. I wonder how Jesus must have felt by it. I'm sure that Jesus must have felt let down by what they'd said. You know, he'd just shared his soul to them, and here they are wanting the best seats. He must have felt let down, but you know, Jesus didn't bear any grudges. Just a few days later, you know, we hear how Jesus is dying on the cross 
And he says to his mother, mother, here is your son. And to John he says, here is your mother. Jesus was not one to bear grudges. Jesus was one to forgive. I wonder, you know, when people say unkind things to us, do we forgive or do we hold it against them forever and, and don't allow them to move on and to grow and to learn? I just want to say that although their request might seem a bit strange and a bit out of hand, if you just want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, if you've got a Bible. Matthew 19. And verse 28. Jesus said this to his disciples. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You know, Jesus had actually promised them that there were these twelve thrones. So it might seem that it was a bit of a strange thing to ask, but in a way, maybe they were just picking up something that Jesus had said earlier in their travels. Now, today, I want us to look at a few things about uh, what we can learn from this as Christians and about how we should live out our lives as Christians. And I was going to put a PowerPoint up, but unfortunately, my, my, my version is too modern and uh, you can't see the PowerPoint. So uh, try and keep up with me as I try and spell it out to you and I'll try and remember what they all are. But the first thing I want to say is I believe that Christians should live lives with simplicity. Christians should live lives with simplicity. I think we should be people who are like an open book, really. We should be people who, you know, we let our yes be yes and our no be no. We should be people who are not ducking and diving, you know, not trying to bag these best seats and things for ourselves. And when I think about this, I was thinking about ambition, you know, and how ambition can really affect us in a bad way. Ambition can do a really bad thing for a purpose. You see, for James and John, they were not wrapped up in what Jesus was going to do through the cross. They were all wrapped up in status and position. Sitting at the right and the left, these were privileged positions to be, and they were wrapped up with status and position. I remember at college, there was a guy called Peter who was training at the same time as me. And I, I didn't really have a lot to do with this guy called Peter. Um, and, uh, but he had a bit of a problem with me. I know you find it hard to believe that anybody could have a problem with me. All right, but he had a problem with me and I couldn't work out what it was. And eventually, we went off on retreat, a group, a group of us. And uh, I was doing a degree and he was doing a diploma. And... Uh, he said, he finally came out, he said, I want to be a bishop one day, and, uh, but I'm only doing a diploma, and I think, you know, the chances of becoming a bishop with a diploma are really slim, and you don't want to be a bishop, and you're doing the degree. And it was kind of like, I thought, you know, what a sad state to be in, you know? Who wants to be a bishop anyway, you know? <laughs> and in fact, what do bishops do anyway? But anyway... Please, just uh, don't quote me on that one. These are recorded and going directly off to the bishop. You see, when I think about this, you know, when I think about it, you know, ambition 
can cause so much strife and animosity. In fact, through their ambitious uh, uh, actions, they were risking the relationship with their, their fellow disciples. And then have a look at you know, how they spoke. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, what a, what a strange way of putting it, isn't it, to Jesus? It's like, let's try and catch Jesus out. You know, Jesus go, yeah, okay, I'll say yes straight away. Well, Jesus, of course, is far too wise to say yes. And, you know, sometimes we've got to be careful, haven't we, as Christians, that we don't over-promise and under-deliver. Sometimes it's better to under-promise and then over-deliver because, in a way, our reputation remains intact. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at, the, at your left. You see, Jesus wasn't going to be caught out by it. But in a way, I think they were trying to manipulate Jesus. I wonder, do we ever manipulate Jesus? No, we never do, do we? You go, Lord, if you answer my prayers, I'll go to church every week for a month. You know, or we make these bargains, don't we, with Jesus? You know, if you do this, I'll do something else. And then once it's, you know, the answer to prayer has come, we seem to forget some of those kind of things. Ambition can make us do all kinds of things. We're not to be like the world, manipulating and twisting and distort. We should live lives of simplicity, where people, you know, know exactly where they stand with us, that we're open and we're true. At St Andrews, we have an open-door policy. I don't think there's anything unless it's of a pastoral nature, that we would keep as a secret from the congregation, you know? I think open-door policy is a much better way for us to live as Christians, that we let our yes be yes and our no be no. When you think about ambition, ambition can be destructive, but it can also be used for good. If you think about the Apostle Paul, he was fiercely ambitious. But he wasn't ambitious for himself, he was ambitious for the kingdom of God and for the growth of the church, you know? And actually, I believe it's good for you to be ambitious for Christ the Lord Church. You know, this church doesn't have to stay the way it is. This church can seriously grow in the future. You know, we want to see, don't we? We want to see the lost being found. We want to see the people uh, who are, are bound up being set free. We want to see the broken being healed. You know, we want to be seeing people held in captivity with addictions being set free from those things. Isn't that what we want? So that people come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour and are truly set free. You know, we can be ambitious for good things. And I encourage you, be ambitious for good things. So, we need to live lives with simplicity, with that openness. You know, not the devious stuff that James and John were doing behind the backs of their fellow disciples. Secondly, as Christians, we should live in humility. You know, Jesus once gave this illustration. He talked about, you know, he said to these disciples, you know, if you get invited to a wedding feast, don't take the seats on the front row. Are you listening? Don't take the seats on the front row, you know, because you might be told to go back. Because it's a, and you'll be embarrassed in front of everybody. Instead, take the seats on the back row. Well done, guys, on the back row. 
Richard Quirk, he could be invited to come to the front and be honoured in front of everybody because he's been brought forward. You know, and Jesus, he said this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. As Christians, we should live lives of humility. We should live lives where we are a servant to all. That's countercultural, isn't it? To live a life that is as a servant and not as somebody taking up those best seats because they're most important. James and John, I think, were trying to bag those best seats. They thought of themselves as being really important people. And Jesus could see right through what they were trying to do. You know, if you look at the heroes of faith, perhaps in the Old Testament, you know, you think of people, you know, who, who did amazing things. They were people filled with humility. Think of Joseph, you know, who was sold into slavery in Egypt. Whatever he did, he did it with excellence. Did you notice that, you know? When he was in Potiphar's house, he did it with excellence. When he was in prison, he did it in, with excellence. When he could be trusted with the small things, then he could be trusted with the great things. Look at Moses. You know, when God calls Moses, Moses goes, oh, I can't speak and I've got a stammer and I'm really nervous. And, and, and God says, you know, you're just the man that I really want. You know, when we look at David, you know, the humility of David, this this shepherd boy out of the field, not even considered, you know, uh, when uh, Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel. You know, in Jesse's household, Sam, uh, David is still out in the field, not even brought before uh, Samuel. You know, it's the people who are the Arnots, the people who are humble that God wants to exalt and use in the kingdom. And of course, when we look at Jesus... You know, Jesus was the suffering servant. I mean, he said that as all, at the end, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, God is looking for us as Christians to be people filled with humility, not puffed up with our own self-importance. We also, as Christians, need to be people of integrity, you know, I think that James and John were not people of integrity at this moment in time. I think that they were, they were, they were wheeler dealing and things like this. They were doing things behind the backs of their fellow disciples. You know, and in the church and in life, integrity is so important, you know? And I wonder, are we a people of integrity? You know, when you look at, um, when you look at uh, um, the Duchess of York, you know, look what she did. Was it last week? You know, she, she had that secret filming where she uh, was selling uh, uh, for £500,000 somebody to have a meeting with her ex-husband, the Duke of York. Through her scheming, she's brought, you know, she's brought that lack of integrity and credibility not only to herself, but also to others, to the Duke of York as well. You know, when you think about things like that, when you think about MPs' expenses, you know, and you think about all that wheeler dealing, you know, you realise, and even yesterday, 
um, that the, the guy, uh, what was his name? Somebody, Laws. Uh, he, he had to resign because of expenses. You know, it brings that lack of credibility. When you think about um, pedophile priests, think of the damage that they have done to the credibility of the church and what shame they have brought on the church. You know, it takes years and years and years to build up a reputation and it takes minutes to bring it down and to destroy it. You know, integrity is a really important thing for us as Christians. And we should live out lives of integrity where our yes is yes and our no is no. When you're at work, do people see that you live differently? You know, when you're, you know, do you make sure that you put the exact right hours in or even over and above the hours because you're not going to take from the company? Or, or, you know, when it comes to, you know, pinching paper or things like this, or it comes to swearing or whatever it might be, you know, people judge us by our actions and our lack of integrity can damage the kind of thing that we're trying to do in building up that reputation and sharing that good news through the modelling of our lives. So we need, as Christians, to be a people of integrity. We also need to be a people with security. When I look at um, James and John, if you, if you remember, when they were called, they were called at the same time as Peter and Andrew, well, Simon and Andrew at that time. They were all fishermen, all right? And there were four of them. Well, it turns out that Peter and James and John became kind of the inner circle uh, following Jesus. And uh, the thing is, there were three of them. And how many best seats were there in the kingdom? There were two. And you can imagine that they're thinking, hang on, if we don't try and bag these seats, Peter's going to get one of them because really he was the, the undisclosed sort of leader of the 12 disciples. And it even, it even says in Matthew's account that they got their mother, Salome, to come along and, and badger Jesus to give these best seats to her two boys. You know, when you look at it, I think there was insecurity in these guys. And as Christians, we've got to be aware that insecurity causes so much damage. My wife, uh, she went to the nine o'clock service this morning at St Andrews, and uh, Tim, were, the rector, was speaking. And when she came back, I said, how was it? She goes, it was fantastic. And my heart sank. <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, I hope it wasn't that good, because he's better than me, you know? Now that's a sinful reaction on my behalf, and Tim is lovely, and I really, I'm glad, you know, that actually he's done a great job. And he's a great preacher, he is a good preacher, you know? But it was funny what my reaction was, you know? And, and insecurity causes mistrust, it causes all kinds of destruction. As Christians, we should not be insecure, we should find our security in who we are in Jesus Christ. And then finally, uh, I want to say that as Christians we should live securely, uh, with security, but also as Christians we should live with eternity. I think this is a really important thing. I think we were talking a bit about this at the prayer ministry training day as well. We should be living out our lives, not for the here and now, but we should be living out for eternity. We should be living out our lives in the way that God wants us to live now with eternity in mind. If you look at verse 38, 
they've, they've asked for these privileged positions in heaven. And verse 38, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And ignorantly they say, oh, oh yeah, we can. You know, and Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But I can't grant whichever side, uh, who's going to sit at the side of me. Now the thing about this is, you know, the, the cup that Jesus is talking about is the cup of suffering. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, you know, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. That was the cup that Jesus was talking about, about suffering. They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They just went, oh yes, we can. And he's going, well, you're going to find out. You know, in Acts 12, verse 1 and 2, you don't need to look at it now. It tells us that James was put to death at the sword of King Herod. You know, he was to lose his life. You know, for John, John ends up his days as a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. He lives a long life, but he, he ends up as a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. You know, suffering was all about, you know, fulfilling what God was planning for their lives. But I think by that time they'd learnt that they were not living for the here and now. They were living for eternity. And I believe that we as Christians need to have that bigger perspective on life. You know, sometimes we feel that life is hard and we're struggling and, you know, nobody notices how hard I work and all the good things I do, nobody notices. Well, you know, God notices. And sometimes we need to say that actually the reward that we want more than anything else is for one day God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, and that should be our sufficient uh, reward. So a number of things to us, for us to think about. These guys, you know, they blew it, but they didn't blow it forever. But actually we can learn so much about what it is to be Christians. We should live lives with simplicity. We should live lives full of integrity. We should live lives with humility. We should live lives with security, and we should live lives for eternity. Let's bow our heads to pray. Father, we want to be the people of God. We want to be people who live according to your teachings, a people who are faithful to you, a people who are good witnesses, people with good reputations, good names, because we want to honour you and we pray that in this coming week, we will be mindful that we want to be the kind of people you want us to be and to live your way. Amen.